Uh, if you have a copy of God's Word with you or on your phone, just want to encourage you to open it up. We are in the book of Genesis and uh, in chapter 4 right now. And I think most of us know this, but sometimes uh, if, uh, if you're looking, trying to find your place in the Bible, every book of the Bible has a name of the book and uh, chapters marked by the larger numbers, and uh, except for verse 1 of each chapter, that's the chapter number. And then smaller numbers represent the verse, so that'll help you kind of navigate uh, your copy of God's Word. Uh, if you need one, we've got some in the seat backs uh, in uh, every row there, so you can certainly find one, fi- find one for yourself, and, and we'd love um, for you to be able to do that. Here's one of the reasons for it, is it's important that you know that what we're preaching comes from the Bible. Uh, we're, we're not really into motivational speaking, and we hope to encourage and exhort and motivate at times, sure, but from God's Word. So we want you to see that we're not making stuff up here. Uh, it comes out of the Word of God. And, uh, and so we want to be able to point to that as well. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to start reading with us Genesis chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 7. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived, and she bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time... Cain brought an offering to the Lord out of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Friends, unbelief flows from pride and becomes anger when we judge God's purposes to be wrong. Unbelief flows from pride and it becomes anger when we judge God's purposes to be wrong, or maybe we judge God's assessment of things to be wrong. Uh, And the narrative we're looking at this morning, this story in the book of Genesis, uh, is a story that that both naturally flows out of Adam and Eve sinning and being removed from the Garden of Eden in their judgment, in their discipline. Uh, But it's also a story that uh, in the rest of the Bible often other places of the Bible refer back to this, refer back to Cain's actions, as we'll see here uh, in a little bit. It starts beautifully, right? It start, almost sounds like a Mother's Day passage right out of the gates, doesn't it? Eve, Eve became pregnant and she bore a son. And here's where Eve gets it spot on. She says, with the help of the Lord, right? Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve knew each other, which is like a polite way for saying Adam and Eve had sexual relations with one another, right? And Eve became pregnant, They knew each other intimately. God created them and he brought them together, uh, complementary to one another, fit for each other, and created a unity between them. And so they knew each other in a way that strengthened their bond of unity, developing their one flesh relationship, which God created them and purposed them for. And the result is that God gave them two sons, Cain and Abel. And our first point this morning is that children are always given with the help of the Lord. I think this, let's just not move past that phrase too frequently. Anytime someone gets pregnant, it is with the help of the Lord. And at that moment from conception, there is a living soul, 
a living soul that we are created to love and to nurture, to care for. And sometimes people experience difficulty in pregnancy, and we understand that. Those are grievous times, sad times, and we ought to, we ought to mourn those losses as well. As well as if a one-day-old or a five-day-old or a five-month-old child is, is born and then in the providence of God, he chooses to take them home. Any loss of any pregnancy at any stage really ought to be grieved because it's a precious soul that God has given us and they matter and they matter to the Lord. Um, Eve knew that she needed to acknowledge God's power in giving her a child, right? Cain's name essentially means I've gotten him or here he is. This was the first time any child had ever been born. And so you can only imagine the elation that they must have felt. In some ways, maybe even relating very quickly back to Genesis 3, uh, 15, when the Lord brings a curse and promises that there would be two seed that would battle each other from here on. There is a seed that would be of the serpent and a seed that would be of Adam. And Adam's seed would always be born with the sin seed in them. Right? Adam sinned, he became a sinful human, a sinful creature, and his sinful seed is passed down all the way through to every other man that has ever been, been born except one, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin who did not have the seed of Adam in her. Right? Uh, Eve may have even just thought that very thing. This is the man from the Lord. Maybe this is the promised one. Who knows how long she thought it would be. A lot of those details we don't have. But we knew she was elated. She was joyful over having a son. Ultimately, right, her children are a gift from the Lord. Just as the psalmist says in Psalm 127. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now it's Mother's Day. And while we celebrate mothers, and we want to celebrate mothers, we're so thankful. Every one of us in here owes quite a debt to mothers, right? Amen. While God has given great purpose to women in bearing children, if you can't bear children or something along those lines, or you're not yet married, is your entire purpose and value wrapped up in being a mom? No, it's not. You need to know that. The Lord has purpose for each and every person here, male and female. And it's not wrapped up in that. So as we celebrate the gift of motherhood today, know that your value is in the Lord who made you, fashioned you in his image to reflect his glory. There's our ultimate purpose for each and every one of us, right? But friends, what's happening in our country right now, uh, if you watch the news and you see that Roe v. Wade may potentially be overturned, and the, the amount of emotion and vitriol and anger and hatred, evil, that is flowing from this national conversation. We can't go a step further in this message without recognizing. And church, pray. Pray that this would come through. Pray that God would overturn Roe v. Wade. Pray that, pray that it would go in this direction. In either way, we will trust the Lord. We will trust the Lord. It would be a remarkable victory for our nation. 
But along the way, remember that while, while we're differing in opinion with some, those would be the same neighbors you ought to over, invite over for a barbecue. Those would be the same neighbors you need to build a relationship. We ought not let a difference like that separate us from our evangelistic task. We should never become so focused on one particular agenda item, however important it is, and it is, that we fail to build God-honoring, Christ-centered, evangelistic friendships with those we live around, to really love them, to really come alongside of them, to really care for them. And secondly, it's important to remember that while we want to fight for or fight against abortion in our nation, as we talk about the the civic or the the, uh, political topic, we need to remember that there are men and women all around us affected by the travesty of abortion. Maybe somebody who made a decision many years ago and they're still grieved by that. And so as we speak, we have to do so carefully and with love, not removing a hint of the truth, but speaking truth always mixed with love, not vacillating between the truth. Here's some truth, here's some love. Here's some truth, here's some love. No, we want to speak the truth in love at all times to everyone. And trust the Lord in, in the many, many circumstances around our lives that we don't, we don't understand. And that's why we, we kick off baby bottle boomerang. And I want to encourage you in this. It's sometimes easy to, to, to casually help the kids find some change lying around. That's really not a cost to us, right? I mean, it's good to train the kids in this, but how can you give in a way that, that would be costly, right? I'm not going to attach, attach an amount or anything like that to that. Uh, some some coins will fit in there. Some dollar bills will fit in there. I think checks will even fit in there. Uh, or you can go give electronically. I just say that because there is a there is a civic war that is being fought uh, in our nation, but around the world as well. And so we want to continue to support the ministry of Brit- Bridgehaven. We've been able to see it up front and firsthand uh, for many many years. And so just want to encourage you in that as Pastor Brian helped kick that off for us this morning. Cain and Abel were the first to experience original sin. That's a doctrinal term called original sin, uh, often total depravity. They're they're very closely linked. Uh, When Adam sinned, his sin seed, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, was passed down through the entire human race so that every person is born in sin. Now, that's really hard to envision cute little kids as sinners, right? We, We know the difference, right? There's the cry that says... I need to cry because I'm hungry and I need to let you know that I'm hungry, right? There's the cry that says, I'm in pain. Something's not right in my tummy or whatever the case might be. And and so I need to cry so that I can let you know that or squirm around or whatever the case might be. I feel like I need to stand still because I'm finding myself starting to play charades up here. Um, And then there's the cry that says, like, I'm not hungry. You know they're not hungry. You're, you've just fed them. And maybe you don't know what's going on physiological, but you're pretty sure what you're hearing is a cry of anger. I want what I want, and I want it now. Now, how early does that start? Who knows? But when you're a parent, you know the difference between a cry of need, a cry of communication, and another communication that says, 
Mom, Dad, I want you to obey me now. And I'll just say, we don't know exactly when that starts, but we know it starts earlier than most of us would ever think. All right, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so, dead spread, de- I'm sorry, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we're born with this sin seed in us and we sin. So we can't just blame it on Adam and Cain and all their descendants. No, we can't. We need to own our own sin as well. Ephesians 2, 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Every single one of us is born in sin, children of wrath by our natures. Now, many uh, psychologies today, many people that we know will try to communicate to us that mankind is basically good. And we've just had some things go wrong and we've been hurt by other people and we're victims. And I'll say, friends, that is in many ways true. Many of us are victims to the sin of others. Well, let's not forget others are victim to our sin at different times as well. But we can't believe the cultural lie that says we're basically good people, but because of others and the way we responded or the way we grew up, now we're, we're victims and we're sinners. We need to recognize, no, God made us perfect and in his image. Adam sinned, his seed passed down. We're all, we're all Uh, born with original sin in us. We are all totally depraved. Now, sometimes there's a misunderstanding with that doctrinal word, totally depraved. Sometimes we understand that word to mean that, that we are so depraved that we can't ever do anything that even tips, tips the scale or, or blinks a light on what would be considered good. No, God in his common grace, he gives rain to people who love Jesus And he gives sun to people who love Jesus. He gives rain to people who don't know or love Jesus. And he gives sun to people who don't know or don't love Jesus. It's God's kindness that he shares with all of humanity. And and being able in some way to love one another, that's part of God's common grace. No, total depravity refers to the doctrine that we are affected in every part of who we are by sin. Right? It doesn't mean you're not able to do something kind for someone. It means... Every part of who we are is affected in some way by sin. And we need Jesus to impute or give us his righteousness through repentance and faith. We're all affected by sin in such a way that we can never do enough good to save ourselves. One sin separates us from God. And so we need to understand that so we can start at the, at the right starting point. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless, and no one does good, not even one. That's why one of my first prayers with, with uh, a pregnant mom and her husband often is right out of the gates to begin, before they're ever born, even praying for their salvation. Praying for a healthy pregnancy, praying for a healthy delivery, and praying that God would one day, like he did to those listening to Peter in Acts, that he would prick their hearts, that he would convict them of their need for, of their need for a Savior. 
Early on, that's what we want to pray. More than we want to pray that our kids would grow up and be good kids. More than we want to pray that they grow up and they're nice kids. More than we want to pray that they're, they're good at whatever activity is doing. More than we want to pray that they'll have a job that will support themselves. More than we pray that we want them to get married. More than any of those things. Lord, Lord, please bring them a conviction so that they recognize their sin and, and what magnanimous ways you've gone to to provide salvation for everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord. Bring them to salvation, we pray. Early on. And we don't ever want to stop praying. We don't ever, ever want to stop praying, praying. Every parent hopes for the best for their kids, right? Every parent wants the very best for them. But we need to come at it from a humble acknowledgement. Now, when, when Eve said, with the help of the Lord, she was spock, talking about her, her, her pregnancy. But parents, we need to borrow that phrase and apply it to everything as it relates to striving to disciple our kids. We ought to do everything we can do to put our kids in the path of God's grace, right? That's why we often want to say, let's prioritize corporate worship together more than sports, more than other activities. Prioritize it. Why? Because without the, the work of God, which comes by hearing the word of God, we need the Lord to do that work in their heart. So we say, Lord, we pray that they would love you. Or I want to be a faithful mom and dad to train my kids to love the Lord with the help of the Lord. With the help of the Lord. Right? So we want to borrow that phrase and apply it uh, liberally. Now our challenge here is we're always, as people, kind of evaluating things, right? And so parents, I just want to encourage you that the only way to evaluate how you or your child are doing is to compare yourself, your spouse, your kids to the Lord Jesus, because he is the only one that's perfect, like the perfect plumb line that a contractor or a carpenter would use to define what is plumb, what is straight. That's Jesus. Our challenge is we like to compare ourselves with the next guy or the next gal. That will always lead us wrong, because if we get to what we think is as, as good as someone else, well, then we've still missed the mark. Because only, only Jesus can make us righteous and holy. As we read throughout this passage, we see in verses 3 through 5, the manner and the matter of worship, which matters greatly to the Lord. The manner of our worship, in other words, who are we, what's in our heart as we do worship-looking activities, and the matter of worship, how we go about it. So what is in our heart? What's our motive? And then do we obey the Lord in the matter of it? In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and, uh, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for or gave approval to Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. One of the Uh, widely debated conversations is why was Cain's offering rejected? And it's one of those questions that the Lord leaves pretty open. I don't mean open for interpretation, but we don't have a very clear defined answer aside from what some things that we see in the new Testament, right? One suggestion might be that uh, Cain's offering wasn't a blood offering, which is required for the atonement of, or the forgiveness of sin, 
right? God gave the Israelites instructions at the writing of the book of Genesis. They already knew how they were to worship the Lord. And so Moses is going back and he's, he's giving the Israelites who are getting ready to go in and take the promised land in Joshua a recollection of their history, of who they are in God, of the fact that God created everything out of nothing by speaking it into existence. And he's saying, this is who your God is. See how powerful he is. See what he is calling you to. And go obey him as you take out that land, or as you take that land. And so as we consider that, we're thinking about what are some of the reasons. We knew that there were animal offerings, blood sacrifices, and we know that there are grain offerings that were likely for their worship. Right? The blood offerings were for the forgiveness of sins, or really to picture that without the shedding of blood, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. But in the Old Testament time, their carrying out of these instructions by the Lord was a demonstration of faith in the Lord. They didn't know everything about Jesus. They didn't know how it was all going to unfold, but they knew, God knew their hearts to say, I'm giving them these commands because I want them to see how holy I am and yet how patient I am. And if they followed and they obeyed, in most cases, it flowed from a humble heart of obedience that wanted to worship the Lord. So there are a lot of details that are unknown to us. The New Testament sheds light on, on really the main things, right? Hebrews 11.4 tells us, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commanded as, I'm sorry, commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Someone has said, it wasn't me, but it's something along the lines of, in the book of Genesis is the seed of every major doctrine in all of Scripture. The book of Genesis, friends, from chapter 1 through chapter 50, applies to each and every one of us. We're warned in 1 John not to be like Cain, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds, his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. You can see Jude 11 for another description of that. John Dill, a great Bible expositor, says this. He says, the superior excellency of Abel's sacrifice to Cain's lay both in the matter and the manner of it. It's essentially where I got point two from, just borrowing from his language. To the matter and the manner of it, the one was offered heartily to the Lord, the other only in show. The one was offered in faith and the other not. So let me just ask the question as you come to worship the Lord together this morning. Is coming to worship the Lord an act of obedience flowing from faith that wholeheartedly believes that this is God's good for us? to be together, to grow together, to worship together? Or do we, and I would think we'd all probably raise our hands for this at some point in our life, including your pastor, I'm ashamed to say. Do we at times go through the motions? I need to go do this. Now sometimes going through the motions flowing from faith can still be worshipful because 
we don't always emotionally feel super joyful about every act of obedience. There's, a, there's an internal joy that says, I want to glorify God with my life. And I'm going to obey the Lord. And I know, I know it'll be good. You ever gone to church or a, a meeting or something like that, and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to go today, but I know that when I get there, it'll be good, and, and the Lord will bless because he's God. Right? There can still be worship-filled ways of obeying the Lord even when we don't feel super happy, joy, joy about it. And that's good, right? Let, let God's word guide you beyond where your emotions will take you. Follow the Lord in, in, in faith-filled obedience. And the joy will come. The joy will come. So what deeds of Cain's, as we think about the manner and the matter of his worship, of his offering, right? What, what, what about his deeds were evil. Did he do evil things before he made the offering? Did he have a repentant heart after the Lord didn't accept his offering? Well, we know the answer to that is no. He didn't have a repentant heart, at least at this point from what we can tell and from the rest of what we see about him. As we think about the Lord and as Cain thinks about God, God is a judge who judges impartially. God is a judge who judges perfectly every time. And he had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain. Cain's manner and his matter of worship, whether he didn't bring the right thing, maybe he wasn't willing to sacrifice his grain offerings or trade his grain offerings in order to be able to bring a a bull or a goat in order to bring the right offering for the sin sacrifice. We don't know those details. We can presume some things, but clearly what Moses is focusing on here is his heart attitude. Was he just passive and just couldn't be bothered with bringing the right thing? Or did he just come at it with an evil attitude? God says, I have to do this. I got to do this. Let's go through the motions. Back in the 90s, there was a really pesky, um, they call it a medfly, Mediterranean fruit fly that... uh, that came in. Well, in the States, we dealt with it in the, in the late 20s in Florida and then in the 90s uh, in California. And it devastated, decimated their fruit crops. And so what would happen is these, these flies would not eat their way from the outside in to the middle of the fruit. These flies would, they would hatch their larvae. They would hatch those eggs on the blossoms. And then as the blossoms grew and the fruit grew off of the whatever kind of fruit it was, those eggs would be embedded into that fruit. And then as those larvae were born, and however the rest of that works, they would eat their way from the inside out. Sinful anger, and really all sin, will eat us alive from the inside out when we don't rule over it. Cain was angry because God didn't accept his offering. And somewhere in there, Cain's face fell. His countenance fell. He looked the part, right? You ever had those conversations with somebody, you know? Why are you angry? I'm not angry. Clearly, I misunderstood. Because this is not matching the words you're saying. Cain's face fell. 
He was angry. And what he was doing in his anger, in his anger, in his anger, or I, I should rephrase, the reason he was angry is because his pride and unbelief made a judgment about God's decision. Or he made a judgment about God's judgment. In other words, God, I know what I'm doing is wrong. Maybe he was jealous that Abel's offering was, was accepted. That's surely part of the story. However you slice it up, what we know is that Cain judged God for God's judgment. Cain judged God for God's blessing of somebody else. But notice, as God did with Adam and Eve, he began to ask questions to understand their heart, really, so that Cain would understand his heart. Right? He sought to, he sought to help Cain search out his heart by asking these questions. Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? God doesn't need an answer to that question. He knows. Like Adam, it would have been a great opportunity for him to say, I'm angry because I'm mad that you didn't accept my offering, but now I know that I'm wrong and I'm evil and I need to repent. Adam, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was in the garden. I'm naked and ashamed. Rather than we ate the fruit that you told us not to. And we're guilty. And now we see it. And we're sorry for it. Neither one of them did it. Neither did Cain. So it's important to understand that anger in and of itself isn't the problem. The question is, why are we angry and how do we handle it? Anger can be good. Anger can even be righteous. Not usually but it's possible. Anger can even be worshipful. We'll talk about that in just a minute. If anger is, well, we'll talk about that in just for a minute. We can worship God in our anger. Let me just say that, right? Uh, there are even times, numbers, we don't have time to read the passage right now, numbers 25, 1 through 9, where God encourages his people to be angry over the right things, right? Anger involves uh, our whole person. I want to read a definition to you. I don't know where this, who is the original source of this. So I want to tell you it's not mine, but I want to read it to you, and I want you to see it here on the screen, all right? Um, anger can be described as a personal, reflexive, uh, I would say whole person, and emotional response to a perceived wrong. It's an experience of outrage when perceiving or meditating on injustice. In other words, if you look at a situation, if you look at a person, if you look at a situation or a circumstance and you perceive it to be wrong, you might become angry. That would be your reflexive response to it. It's like a dashboard light that tells you that you need to look at what you're feeling. So there's two kinds of anger. There's righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger. What category would you put Cain in? Righteous anger, well, it flows from righteous desires. In other words, uh, righteous according to God's definition of what is righteous, right? According to God's definition of, of what is good. So what are a few righteous desires? Well, a desire for God's glory. A, a desire to honor the dignity and 
worth of people that God made in his image. Right? When somebody gets into a fist fight, the anger shouldn't be about the fight. The anger should be that those individuals are treating one another opposite of the way that God intended for people to be treated, who are image bearers of his. So we reflect God's glory as we treat people with the honor and respect that they deserve because they bear his image. Right? So anything that would be cause anger, if we see some abuse or adultery or murder, abortion, hateful speech, disrespecting people of maybe ways in ways that are less drastic. Maybe it's not as, doesn't take our breath away as much, but disrespect, dishonor is still dishonor. And it mars the image of God in mankind, right? We, 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 we know anger might be righteous anger if it's validated or verified in the word of God. Are we being angry over the right things? Does our face fall? Does our countenance change? Does our heart beat faster? Do we feel ourselves, you know, being, if the word is enraged or whatever the case might be, because something in God's truth is being mistaught with with intentionality so as to deceive, not just an error that someone, you know, misspeaks. Otherwise, it'd be in hot water. I've done that. Speak something, you're like, oh, I didn't say that right. It can't be based on falsehood. It needs to be from actual events, which is why Proverbs tell us, always hear both sides of it. A man seems right until the other one pleads his case. Well, when we hear someone tell their story and then we rush to to be on their team, so to speak, well, that would be sinful anger because we haven't sought to hear the other person's perspective. Neither one of them may be right, right? We always say, right? There's always three sides to the truth, right? His side, her side, and God's side. Not just a his and hers thing, but two sides, right? So anger needs to be according to the truth described in the Bible. It can't be based on falsehood. If you think about God and Moses, Exodus 32, the Lord is talking with Moses, right? And God's anger, it becomes displayed. Why? Well, because the Israelites are down at the base of the mountain. They're like, where's God? We can't see God. Let's make a God. That sounds like a great idea, right? Moses confronts them. You hear me. I talk about this passage a lot because I think it's, I mean, it's horrible, but it's hilarious. And they, Moses, they go to Aaron and they say, oh, we need a God, we need a God. And they say, okay, everybody bring in your gold and your watches, your jewelry, your necklaces, whatever the case might be. And, and, and the Bible relays that he melted it and fashioned it. Moses says, bro, what is going on down here? He's like, well, we put in the gold and out came a calf. Even though Moses previously tells us that they formed it and they fashioned it to make an idol for worship. So God's anger, Moses' anger is right and righteous in how they handle it. It's acted on in righteous ways. In other words, friends, we might be right over a particular perspective about something going on culturally because it is affirming of God's truth and honoring who God values, which is every human. But, oh, friends, let's be careful that we go about it in a righteous way. You can be righteous about what you're angry for and correct in that and totally sinful in how you go about it and justify your response. And God will take issue with that. 
God will take issue with that. We can have unrighteous anger, which flows naturally from unrighteous desires, as we see here in Cain's life. Something about Cain's thought process and going about the offering, something about his attitude in, in bringing the offering, and definitely in what we see in his response to God's lack of accepting his offering. Cain's angry. He has a wrong desire. And so he acts unrighteously in his sinful, evil, angry. We don't like the word evil. The Bible calls it evil. Right? If, if we have unrighteous anger, well, that might be because it's according to falsehood. Something that's not checked with the word of God. Or something that maybe somebody tries to relay something to you. Maybe they're not trying to lie. Maybe they're not trying to be deceptive. But you're angry over something that's false. That would be unrighteous anger. Which is why it's very important for us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I already mentioned it, but if, if we act on anger, angry at the right things in the wrong way, it's unrighteous anger. So I want to ask you a question. When you're angry in your life, do you get angry at the right things? And do you respond in the right way? It is your goal to bring glory to God in everything you fight for, in everything that you believe, and in how you go about it. To bring glory to God. Cain was able because jealous of, of God's approval of Abel and his offering. Angry in his pride. Sinful in his pride. He made a moral judgment. Listen to this, friends. He made a moral judgment that God sinned. What moral judgments do you make in your life that what God has you might say, allowed you to go through or endure. You might also just as correctly say, brought you to, to bring you through. But you think God's wrong. I don't mean that we understand everything in life immediately and correctly every time. But out of jealousy, out of bitterness, out of anger, out of hatred, or simply out of a sense of entitlement. God, what you're doing to me is wrong. Brothers and sisters, friends, that is unrighteous anger. And we need to repent of it. And the beautiful thing about repentance is repentance is one of the first acts of worship we can do in turning back to the Lord. Repentance is beautiful. Repentance is not something to be ashamed of. Repentance is very glorifying to God and very healing to your soul. And I just have to ask, some carry anger around for decades upon decades. And brothers and sisters, you cannot live life like that with anger in your soul, not repented from, not dealt with, and expect that your life with the Lord will be joyful and that everything that flows out of you will be wonderful because you will have welcomed bitterness. Bitterness toward others, bitterness toward God. And when God gives us warnings like he gave here to Cain, it is always flowing from love.
maintain sin wants to rule over you, but you must master it. Maybe you have something unchecked in your life. Does this mean we have to go find every time we've ever been angry and repent of it very specifically? Well, I would just say this. If the Lord brings something to your mind, deal with it biblically. Just start with humility and confess it to the Lord. Lord, I've been angry for so long. I know it shows. I'm short in my responses to people because I'm, I'm, I'm giving a, a refuge to anger in my soul. So I overreact in conversations. I overreact in, in situations that maybe even they were wrong, but they don't need that kind of response. Obviously, God knows the answer to the questions that he asked Cain. But he's giving him an opportunity to repent. So I just want to ask, is God giving you an opportunity to repent here this morning? Remember that God is loving, perfect, and very kind. Take him up on it. Agree with God that it's sin. Ask for his help in how to deal with it. And if you need help, we're here to help you. Get in touch with any of the elders or any mature Christian friend that you know here. We will walk by your side. Not to leave you to figure it out on your own. I want to close with a, a passage from Ephesians 4. And I'm going to read it quickly until to highlight in a couple, couple main points. But it all kind of fits together. In Ephesians chapter 4, 17, he said, Paul says, Now I say this and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. In other words, if you're a Christian now, Stop living like an unbeliever, right? They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart, unbelief, or pride. They have become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were trained in him as the truth is in Jesus. To, to, to put off your old self with its deceitful desires and to be oh I, I skipped a phrase which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self you might call it a three-step process although i'm not all about steps processes necessarily but put off the old self be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of god and true righteousness and holiness. Now listen here. This is a bunch of examples of put off, put on, put off, put on. And anger is in here. Bitterness is in here. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let none of you speak the truth. I'm sorry. Let each one of you speak the truth. See, I just told you you can misspeak and bring bad theology. Uh, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Husbands and wives, take heed. Before you go to bed, set the pathway for reconciliation. Don't always have time to deal with it at 10 o'clock. Make the initial statement that brings you closer to reconciliation. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. I don't think that says uh, some. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasions. A lot of wisdom needed in there, a lot of humility in there. That it may give grace or undeserved kindness to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, don't just try to stop being angry. Don't try to take off evil fruit. I'm sorry, righteous fruit and staple it on a tree rooted in anger or evil or unbelief. The moment you just focus on behavior rather than dealing with what God wants to do in your heart is the moment you'll begin to deceive yourself that you're walking in Christ. Confess your anger to God who's ready to forgive, heal, and restore. And ask for the Spirit's help every day. Spirit of God, help me assess this situation. Because if I only depend on my perspective and my opinion or my wisdom, I'll miss it every time. My guess is the same will be true for you. This is a wonderful time as we, as we remember how Jesus himself was wrongly treated, lied about, beaten, spat upon, nailed to a tree. And in his pain and grief and anger towards sin, on the cross he prayed, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So as you come, and we invite you to come, if you believe that Jesus alone is your Savior, and you're trusting in him alone, Come, take, eat, and drink with us. We have two stations up front. We'll have two in the back, and we have a communion station right here. This is a great time to come forward. Maybe take that bread and juice, which is two cups, by the way. I had somebody ask this week, didn't know it was two cups. There's two cups that are stacked there to, just to compact things a little bit. But maybe you wait before you come forward and you say, Lord, I, I need to confess this to you. Maybe you come forward and you take the cup and you go back to your seat and you say, Lord, thank you for letting your body be broken and giving yourself to be killed on Calvary for me. And so before I eat this representation of your death, burial, and resurrection, I need to repent. Be patient with me, Lord, as I try to sort this out, how deep this goes, how wide this goes. And if there's reconciliation to be made, Lord, give me a willing heart to follow you obediently. Lord Jesus, we want to just give you our hearts this morning. We want to acknowledge that we need your help each and every day. Thank you that you love us despite ourselves, knowing that the only thing we bring to our salvation is the sin we commit on a daily basis. You're so patient to pursue us, more so to live among us perfectly in everything and to give your life at Calvary. Help us live worship-filled lives. We know it'll be imperfect. We don't want to pretend any differently. But help us strive to do it flowing from a heart of belief and humility as we seek to honor you and to worship you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.